0: This is episode number 30 with Verilynn Jones. Coming up. And
1: it was also very frustrating because every time I spoke, I would hear someone say, I don't understand what she's saying. What is she saying? I remember the very first time working with the L.A. Women Shakespeare Company, my thought was, I'm going to go in there and they're going to wipe the floor with me for Sure. In a sense, I always felt like I was behind the eight ball in all of this because I didn't have the Mm. the training experience that most of these people had. I was learning as I was going. Sometimes you just have to just step out of your comfort zone. I think that's the main thing. I'm still learning that because I'm still really Mm -hmm. that frightened girl who's saying yes while I'm shaking in my boots. I'm a winner at what I do, even though it may not be all the great roles or the great theater stages to be on. I'm just damn grateful that I got a chance to do what what I set out to do.
0: If you're looking for what it takes to be an actor long term over the course of your life, then you've come to the right place and you're going to really enjoy this episode. Today's guest grew up on a tiny island in the Caribbean, studied fashion and dance in New York, often felt like she never had the right background or training, and yet found success in several careers. Hey there, this is Nathan Agin, and welcome to The Working Actor's Journey, connecting you with lifelong professionals. Today's guest is Verilyn Jones, an actress who has been working professionally for over 30 years across theater, film, and TV. She has worked at the Denver Center, South Coast Repertory, Mark Taper Forum, the Kirk Douglas Theater, and internationally at La Scala Theater in Stockholm, Sweden. This podcast is designed to show you how the work is done, what the realities of the working actor life are like, and to share all the different ways actors have come to this career. There is no one path and no single answer. We want to learn from all of those further down the road, to shorten the learning curve and to discover what helps and what doesn't when it comes to having a lifelong career as an actor. By the way, did you know you can support this podcast as a patron? Starting at just $2 per month, get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes and additional content and be a part of taking this show to the next level. And for those who join at the co-star level or higher, just $5 or more per month, you also receive a 10% discount on our workshops and programs. Head to WorkingActorsJourney.com slash premium to join today and thank you for your support. Our guest today, Verilyn, is an award-winning actress who earned a degree in dance from Brooklyn College. In addition to all her credits on stage and screen, she is a board member and resident artist at A Noise Within, a co-founder and artistic associate at Lower Depth Theater, and a member of both the Antia's Company and the Actors Studio. She has also served on the board of the Los Angeles Women's Shakespeare Company and mentored many young actresses there. I have definitely known of Verilyn for many years and been an admirer of her work. I'm so thrilled we could involve her in the workshops we've done, and that I had the chance to talk to her today. Like me, you may be surprised at the many lives of Marilyn Jones. I just could not believe all the things she's done in her life while still also having so much success as an actress. And as you'll hear me say in the interview, I love her quality of just asking, how do I do that when she's interested in something? It's so simple, and yet many of us don't do it. Asking that question can open up a whole new world, as she demonstrates over and over. I'm so grateful to Verilyn for how candid and honest she is. She really dives into everything, no holding back. She's such a warm, kind person, it's a great talk, and I really think you're going to enjoy this one. So here we go with episode number 30, Please Enjoy My Chat with Verilyn Jones. So how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing okay. It's sort of a moody day. What's yeah. it like in San Diego cuz here it's very gray.
0: It ha- yeah, it has been rainy. It's, the rain is just starting. So yeah, it's been it's been wet here. But we had we had like a rainy day 2 days ago and then yesterday was kind of sunny. And then we have more rain today. So you, you know, I are, are do you I was talking to somebody yesterday. I I don't think It takes a lot for me to get too hot. Like, I always prefer to be in the sun, and I can get very cold very easily. And Mm -hmm. and they agreed. And so, I don't know, are you more of a warm-weather person, cold-weather person? Do you gravitate to one of them?
1: Well, I'm more warm-blooded, I think. Um, Cold, I get very cold, and I live in an old house. It's over 100 years old, so it's always drafty. And so, when we're home, we're all dressed up, you know, and then I go outside. It's like, hey, it's not that out
0: here. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's you, yeah. you go to take the dog for a walk,er and you're like, wait a second, I don't need this heavy sweater outdoors, no, and, not know, at know. all. Or yeah.
1: well, when you start off early, you're all dressed up, and then by the end of the day, you are have. Right now, I have a heater at my feet just to keep my feet warm.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, my my brother he he just moved to Nashville, and he he told me like. He made two different trips to like Home Depot to get heaters because he just wasn't, he moved from LA. He wasn't anticipating how cold ah. it was going to be in the winter. So yeah, I, I know. I know. I know that feeling. And yes, I'm, I'm a little more bundled up than usual today. But now you, this was something I had, this is what I, I love kind of getting ready for these interviews. I had no idea about where you started and where you grew up. And it, it, you started on the island of uh, Caracu. Am I saying Car- that correct? Car-
1: Car- oh, you Car- did. This, so we say yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, but, tiny but, island. Yeah. yeah, it's called Caracu.
0: Mm-hmm. Caracu. Okay. And that, so it's, it's like just north of, of Venezuela and, and, and in the, in the Caribbean. It's um, on that
1: chain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And so, okay. So that's where you, you started. That's like, how, how many years were you, did you live there?
1: I I was there I think up until nine I came to this country I was either seven or uh, eight or nine when mm-hmm. I I came here mm-hmm.
0: and so what like what do you I mean do you have a lot of memories of growing up on the island there
1: oh absolutely yeah. and I really hold on to those memories because you know the older I get you know with family being gone and you know mm-hmm. the elders passing you know we just don't get back to Caracu as much as I would like but oh no those memories are are like locked in because those were the memories of my grandmother and my Mm. great aunt. And they were the two women that raised me up until I was able to join my parents again.
0: (laughs) Okay. So it was, so were your parents on the Island or what were they doing for work at that time?
1: Well, what happened my back in the day, England was supposed to be our mother country, so to speak. Mm -hmm. We were colonies of of England. And so once you reach a certain age, everyone's hope and desire was to go abroad, to go to England, Mm -hmm. you know, for school, for for further schooling, because everything was limited on the island in terms of education. We got through what they call, our grades were called standards. So you'd have ABC, which was kindergarten, up Mm -hmm. to sixth standard, which is the highest you could go. Okay. And which is really sort of like a middle a middle school education. So to really go further, you either had to leave the island or, you know, go maybe to another country or to a larger island that would have bigger mm. institutions for school. So at the time when my mother was pregnant with me, prior to that, she and my dad were trying to get visas to travel to, to England. And in those days, it took a long time before, mm. you know, it could be years before you were cleared wow. to get a visa. So it just so happened that after I was born, just as I was, I think I was nine months old, Mm -hmm. their visas came through. So the choice was to uh, leave us. You know, there were five of us. My parents had five kids at the time. Wow. uh, The choice was to leave us and to go. And every time one of my uncles or aunts had the opportunity to leave, their children were left with my grandmother, (laughs) who we call Mama Rose. So Mama Rose was, was everything to us. And along with my great aunt, her name was Isabel, but we called her Tam Bell. And she was an invalid. So my grandmother really had her hands full because she wow. cared for, for my aunt. And I was the youngest of all the children in the yard. So I was like the prize child in the yard. And, you know, growing up on the island was, it was, you know, we never knew, uh, we didn't have electricity. We didn't have mm. running water. So you know, it was just that kind of, of of growing up experience. But you know, in our minds, we had everything. We had everything right. we needed. Wow. There were no shops where you would go necessarily. No department stores where you would know, mm-hmm. buy clothes. So everything was made for us. So when my my grandmother, she was the salt of the earth to me because she made everything. Mm-hmm. I remember um, my parents would send fabric once they did get to uh, to England. Uh, fabric back for her to make out clothes she made wow. out mattresses she, wow. she out, we. she grew out food you know i remember we had a cistern outside so you know what a cistern is uh where you collect water
0: yes yeah 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 uh-huh. so i'm thinking of that reference in othello i think he says the word cistern but those exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly it's a real thing we would like she would line us up and we'd all have to walk to the well and bring water back we'd have our mm. thing on our heads oh, okay which was a piece of fabric that you'd wrap up in, in a in a round thing and you put it on your head to make it flat enough to put a cannon of mm. you know or anything that you were carrying on your head, and so we, she'd line us all up and we'd march to the well and get the water and we'd come back and fill up the cistern, that took several trips
0: just so you know yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: but that was my growing up, yeah mm-hmm. and
0: so what, did was mama rose did, did she grow up on that island, or where where had she spent her life?
1: Now, Mommy Rose, was she's a very interesting woman because she was a Scottish woman. Back in the day, the island, Caracou was first dominated by the French.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And over the years, then it took over. And so the island is really all of the villages and the, the names and so forth of the village are all French. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up, the older people, the, like the grandparents, they all spoke this sort of different language. It's like what you call the patois. And it was a mixture of the different languages. And so, but my grandmother in those days, the carriku was known for sugar cane. So the British needed ships in order Mm -hmm. to transport all the goods back to England. So the Scottish people were known for years to be great shipbuilders. So a lot of Scottish people were brought onto the island to Mm -hmm. develop this shipbuilding industry. And so my grandmother's family came from Ireland. And that's how she got to Caracou. And uh, she married when the, sh- the cane business went bust. Uh, a lot of the Scottish people stayed on the mm-hmm. island, and then with the influx of the African slaves that were brought onto the island sure. by way of Haiti to to till work the, the fields, sugar cane, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, to sugarcane. So my grandfather was brought over from Haiti to do wow. some work. And later on, ended up meeting my grandmother, and that's how they got married. So my grandmother is wow. actually a Scottish woman, yeah. <laughs> wow.
0: Her um, name
1: was Elizabeth McIntosh. She was a McIntosh.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, we've probably spent two hours talking about that woman. That sounds like <laughs> such a fascinating uh, journey. So, so growing up on the island, were you aware of... Or, or, you know, was there any tourism on the island? Were you aware that this was a is a place that people came to, or was it just, you
1: know? No, at the time, Karakou, and it still kind of is sort of like a uh, a hidden gem, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the water is littered with small islands in that mm-hmm. area sure, yeah the, the Leeward Islands, and there are even islands here that's uninhabited. Uninhib- so, oh, yeah, uh, sure. Karakou being as small as it is, it's like 11 square miles, so it's not very <laughs> tiny. It wasn't... On the tourism path, yeah, okay, got it. And growing up, you know, even though my grandmother was a white woman, we never saw her as a white woman. We saw Mm. her as our grandmother. And living, you know, growing up on the island, we didn't see too many white people at that point. So, but all of the older, the grandparents Mm -hmm. at the time were the white people. They always mixed somehow because at that time there was a lot of intermarriage and so forth. But I, I is really sort of like I know most people always tell me when I lived in New York and even out here they'd always tell me I'm the only Carriacou and they know because it's a small community of right, people right. even back east more so here on the west coast but back east you'd find more but it's a very small community mm, you know mm-hmm, everyone knows mm-hmm. Jamaicans or Barbadians or right. Trinidadians but Carriacou we, we actually don't even have our own government we are governed by Grenada. Okay. Which is, and and the island that my father comes from is called Petit Martinique. And so that's even smaller than Caracou. That's like, at the time, there were only like 600 people on the island. So It's So Caracou is pretty small. And I think now people are are learning more about it. Yeah. Most people, it's not on the tourists, which I love. I love that I, because to me, it always stays, you know, and it's really changing a lot now. But sure, at the time growing up there, we were like in a cocoon. So oh right, of course.
0: And, and you mentioned that 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 language, the, the patois. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know there are. You know, having traveled a little bit in that part of the world, there are there can be so many influences on language that even when somebody is speaking English, it doesn't sound like English because you just you know because there are so many other cultures melting in and melding in there. And so, you know, were you speaking that kind of dialect and that kind of those kind of regionalisms growing up, or or were you taught? Were you taught, like, you know, the, the, the Queen's English, so to speak, in school?
1: No, well, at the time I was so young, so we were, mm-hmm. no, you really just learned your basics. No one is really talking about trying to change your, you know, your dialect or anything like that. No,
0: no, but I guess it was, it was more a question, like, was there, was there a certain kind of, like, were there certain kind of regionalisms that you were picking up in terms of just just all the cultures that are present in that area? Versus, you know, like like when I go to Belize, you know, English is the official language, but there are people, you know, speaking speak mixtures of English and Spanish and, and Jamaican influences in there, too. And so, you know, even when you hear, quote unquote, English, it's like, I I don't know. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of slang and other stuff that comes up. So I was just curious if that was part of your culture growing up.
1: Well, you know, every island has its own, you know, I think sometimes when people think of uh, Caribbean dialect that it all sounds the same, but right. every mm-hmm. island has sort of its own regionalism, I suppose, in in how they speak. So that was not, it's not until you leave the island that you realize, oh, you know, you sound different right, from somebody right. else, but it's not something that was consciously um, taught or anything.
0: And so, do you remember at that age? There were certain things you were very interested in as a kid, like that that you had proclivities for, or, or you know wanted to pursue. I mean, like how how wide was your knowledge of things to do at that at that age?
1: Well, you know, being growing up at at the point when I lived on the island, I was so young that there weren't really we didn't have museums or mm-hmm, theaters sure. yeah, or any. Any such thing, really. So it was nothing that I was exposed to. We didn't have television. We Light, had a yeah. radio. And I remember okay. my grandmother having a gramophone. So there really wasn't much to, to aspire at that time. It wasn't until I got to the States when I, when we were brought up, when my family moved, when they went to England, first of all, they went to England. They did get there years later. They England was very hard for them. So mm-hmm. considering that it was supposed to be the mother country, it wasn't welcoming whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so eventually they moved from England to the States with the help of a great aunt of mine. And they built their lives there. And then eventually they were able to send for the children. They left five kids with my grandmother. So they brought myself and my two sisters to the States first. We got here, I think, in the late 60s or something. And then later on sent for my two brothers. And then since we've had my youngest brother who was born in the States. So it was then that I, you know, in mm. being exposed to television, right. I had no idea what television was. <laughs> and so, when, and
0: what, where did they bring you to? Was this New York or was there somewhere Brooklyn, else? Yeah. We, okay.
1: we, we grew up in Brooklyn. I remember seeing television. I remember getting to the apartment. First of all, just getting from the air.
0: Of course. The, yeah. the
1: airplane to the. The main building near the terminal yep. and in those oh, yeah. days, and I'm telling my age at this point in those days, there was no connection, you know how we now right. go through that tube and we get right right so the plane would land on the terminal, and then you'd have to walk from there to the right. to the terminal, and we had never felt cold. <laughs> yeah, The coldest you ever felt was when you went to the to the ocean, to the beach, and you came out and right. you googled for a little bit. And then next thing you know, you were dried off by the sun. Yeah. So being cold, and at the time, we didn't have our coats or anything. So I remember the flight attendant wrapping us up in blankets. And since I was the littlest one, she carried me because it was snowing. We got here in oh, December, wow. and there was oh, snow on the ground. And I remember be walking, you know, you know, feeling the motion of the, of the flight attendant walking, right. and I'm looking around, and the snow was falling, and it was. I felt like ET, you know, being wrapped up in this blanket <laughs> yeah. and looking around and feeling rather cold, but being more fascinated by the thing falling from the sky. It right. was just so wow. fascinating. And then when getting to the terminal and seeing my parents, and in, we hadn't seen, I didn't remember other than pictures. You know, oh wow, I think. They were away for almost eight years before I saw. Oh them. wow! Yeah, I it was
0: can't. Jeez, like, I can't imagine. I mean, and and because there were there were probably no phone calls. There was no, there, there was no, no. Con, like letters. I would imagine, but the, if you but know it, what right?
1: it was. What's that thing? Telegrams. There were that's, telegrams. That's, okay. You know, anything important and major came through a telegram. Or if someone was traveling abroad and was going to England and on their way back, you know, people would send stuff, letters or, or pictures or clothes. And so they would bring stuff back. So that's really mm-hmm. kind of how we, we got things uh, done. But yeah. it, so it was fascinating and just seeing these spaces. And in those days. Everyone went to the airport if someone was coming. Right,
0: of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Went to the airport to <laughs> greet them. So it was that kind of scene. My, and I remember my mother just grabbing me out of the arms of the flight <laughs> attendant. And, and I was looking at it, who is this woman? You know, it's like, I know it's my mother, but it's. You know, yeah. it's sort of like that typical immigrant story when you reunite with your family, and wow. you know, it's kind of even tear me up just thinking about it. But so that was that. So then, getting home to the apartment, getting in the car, and because we didn't have any cars on the island, I think there were two as far as I could remember, and getting in a car and all these people making all this fuss over you, and 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 me being the youngest, I was always kind of you know the favorite child in that in that way. But then getting to an apartment and you know. Buildings, tall buildings, and, and then the television was what fascinated me. <laughs> I remember sitting looking at it and seeing people inside. And I thought they could see me and could hear me. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh>, yeah. yeah <laughs> it was, crazy. it was really interesting. So then the things that interest me as, as I grew and, and got, you know, accustomed to this box mm-hmm. with faces and yeah, people sure. moving around. And the things that, that fascinated me that I would see on this thing was when I would see these shows where people, danced and you know like the what was the name of that show like even red skeleton red
0: skeleton ed sullivan
1: and and so forth and seeing these various things and there was some shows tom jones he had a set of Mm -hmm. dancers who would dance and that always fascinated me that's really Mm -hmm. what i wanted to look at and 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 I think that's probably where my interest was piqued by by right. things theatrical and and so forth. So
0: well, I I can't imagine you know coming to somewhere and like just everywhere you look, everything is so different than mm-hmm. what you knew. Mm-hmm. And 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 of course, again, as you were saying, like at a time when there was so little connection to the outside world, you know. Of course, you know now it's so easy to kind of see you know what other people are experiencing or you know whether you look at you know videos or, or whatever. There's just all this stuff that you can show you just about anywhere you want on the planet. And so, did you find it hard to acclimate to you know going to school and making friends and and just living suddenly in Brooklyn? I mean, what was that transition? I mean, I, obviously you were glued to the box, the TV, and that was that was comforting. <laughs> but what, what was the rest of your life like at that point?
1: Well, it wasn't all that, that easy because yeah. going to school as a child who, first of all, was not familiar with any of it. School, what was this all about? Mm. In, in from school in, on the island, I think, you know, there, it was a small village school. So right. it wasn't a huge school. So in your class, if I remember, it was just small amounts, like eight, nine people in your class because right. there weren't that many kids at each grade level sure. to have a full class. So. And it, it was it was it was scary, and it was also very frustrating because I didn't. Every time I spoke, I would hear someone say, "I don't understand what she's saying. What is she saying?" Or hmm. whenever it was time for me to read out loud, it became such an issue for me. I actually would kind of break into a sweat because I knew what I would get. You know, the hmm. oh, I don't understand what she's saying, and can she speak clearer and what is that she's, you know, things like that. And, you know, for a kid, that could be very traumatic. Of
0: course. yeah. And,
1: you know, it's, it's interesting how things stay with you because even to this day, there is still that, that, that slight thing until I, I I settle into what I'm saying or reading, it becomes a bit of a a flashback Mm
0: -hmm. of Mm -hmm. those, those moments. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously it was just, it was just the, the the way that you guys spoke on the Island and the way you grew up speaking around your family and, and the community that, I mean, again, to these children in Brooklyn who are totally unaccustomed to that, it just sounded very different. But it, it, I mean, it, like you were saying, it was still English, but it just had a different ring to it or a different sound than, than they were used to. And, and the so
1: other, the, the other thing yeah. that's really difficult, I think they, at that time, there weren't many Caribbean families. I think mm-hmm. we were the only Caribbean families on the block. in In my school, I believe there was just one other girl and she was from Haiti. And mm-hmm. so we okay. were the only two that I knew knew well in the school that for sure that had these different backgrounds. And so even on our block, everything was it was always the old the Caribbean family, the Caribbean family. Mm-hmm. things
0: so, yeah. So it, it, what did you find yourself getting involved with in in school? Were there things you were gravitating toward, like sports or, or other things, or or what? Well, how did you you know? Or were you just coming home every day and watching the TV?
1: Well, you know, I I did make some friends, but I think that happened not so much in elementary school. Mm-hmm. It was more when I got to junior high school than things. Mm-hmm. Well, we called it junior high school here; they call it middle school. But it was you basically. My block became like my world. Mm-hmm. So the friends that I made on the block—they were, you know—you'd play outside all day. We jumped rope. Right. We played handball. You know, any wall became a wall for handball. And so there was, you know. Yeah. Uh, Little you know, there were these trips where you go. We didn't. You know, our family was really not very. We were. I wouldn't consider us poor. We always felt, no matter what status we were at, we always felt like we had everything. But we really were in in terms of the larger community, mm-hmm. we really didn't have very much. So we didn't do a lot of outings, and you know, mm-hmm. like we our exposure to to theater and so forth. If we go to a movie, it was minimum. So there weren't many mm-hmm. outside curricular activity things that we did outside of playing on the block, quite frankly.
0: And, you know, all your siblings, were you guys all fairly close in age?
1: Um Yeah, there there, there were six five of us when we lived on the island. Right. So I was the youngest. And then when, when we got here, my brother, my youngest brother, who was the only one born here in America, he's nine years younger than I am. Okay. So, in terms of my oldest siblings, everyone is pretty close to age. Uh, maybe a year or two between myself and my the brother that comes before me. Mm-hmm. They're two years, and I think between him and my other sisters, it's
0: really just a year or two between each of them. Two years. Did any of them like end up in in the arts or creative stuff or other oh, fields no. entirely? No,
1: no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was what you call the black sheep of the family. They had no idea. What it was that you know my interest in in dance and 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 right, theater right. and that was so foreign to them, because basically what our responsibility was to go to school, get an education, get a job mm-hmm. and and that was it it you know there was no thought of and the job basically for the in those days, at least in my family, most of the women worked in a hospital, and mm-hmm. most of okay. the men worked in the tunnel, if you could understand that, they you know, they were called sandhogs, and they worked hmm. in fixing the, the rails and, you know, oh, okay. very dangerous, very, very yeah, dangerous wow. work. As a matter of fact, I lost an uncle in the tunnel. He was crushed by one of those things, you know, when the train isn't running, when they're trying to repair things, there's a some sort of a trolley that goes through to bring their oh, equipment okay. through. Okay. And he was crushed by one of those. So that's basically the men did that. And and it was easy because if you had one person working, they'd get the other person on and the other person on and so forth. Right, so, right, right. And then for the women, my mom worked at a hospital and most of my aunts worked there. So that was their they were nurses' aides and so forth. So mm-hmm. they were not professional people in, in a sense, but they all found gainful employment. Right. And actually was it, it's amazing to me what they were able to accomplish on what you would consider these minimal, you know, these jobs. Right. And they were able to purchase their homes and get second mm. homes and third homes and so forth. So that was it. But in terms of being exposed, but most of them weren't exposed to, right. to the sure. arts. I got lucky. There's a, There was a department store in Brooklyn called A&S. And that was one of the premier stores at the time in Brooklyn. And they mm-hmm. had an outreach program called the A&S Fashion Board. And they chose a girl. It was an outreach, a community outreach type. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they chose one girl from each high school and one girl from each junior high school to mm-hmm. represent their schools at the ANS fashion board. And what mm. the fashion board was, it was a fascinating time. I was so lucky to bat at And you know, you had to go down and you, you know, each school would send a few girls and. They'd go down for interviews and then they choose one girl out of, you know, the, the lot that was sent to them. Mm-hmm. And I got to represent my junior high school and that just opened up my world. And this was for a year. So, so the whole year we had to we had this amazing experience. We'd meet once a month then we'd plan our calendar of activities for that month. And, you know, we did all sorts of things. We, we would go to orphanages and have parties mm. for the kids like at Halloween or a senior citizen home for adults mm-hmm. and we'd go and we'd sing and we'd bring gifts and so forth. But then we also, those were our community type things, but we also did, they would also take us on, on trips each month. So I got to go to, I, I was selected and even among the girls, you could sometimes be selected for special projects. And I remember being invited to go to the Plaza Hotel. They had this thing, Mm -hmm. 17 Magazine Mm -hmm. did this thing called a a think tank for young girls. And I got to go. So we had lunch at the plaza and, you know, we did all these things. And then we were invited to go to Seventeen Magazine where oh, uh, we spent a yeah. day at Seventeen. And this was with Teen Teen uh, Seventeen. And it was a fascinating day because we saw all the different departments and they showed us around and we had luncheons. And it was really very special. So I got that was one of the things I got to do. We also I saw my very first play with them. We went oh, to see. Okay. Man of La Mancha. I'll never forget that. That was my very, very first, I was 14, my very Mm -hmm. first experience seeing theater. And again, that just opened up my I was like, wow. You know, seeing people on stage and they're telling the story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you you have, you know, people on horses and not really, but the the stagecraft that that, it was just people flying in from the sky, coming up from the ground. It was just really it was quite fascinating. And that same year in junior, I was in junior high school also. We went to see a production of Hamlet. So mm, in Connecticut. Okay. So that was two theater experiences I had at that time at, within that year. And that just kind of blew me away. So that was and, my first theatrical experience.
0: And you mentioned, you know, as, as uh, first going to school and, and, and maybe developing a little bit of, of shyness or, or anxiety about, you know, speaking out. Mm-hmm. So. That the the A and S fashion board was that something you pursued? Where did your teachers recommend you? How did that come across? It, yeah.
1: it was by rec- recommendation. They mm. asked one teacher, usually a teacher that was like in the home economics or some, mm-hmm. you know, that type of teacher who would say, or the English teacher. Somebody, I remember right. it was my home ec teacher that recommended me. I remember she sent three three girls down, and I got it. So that was that. I uh, even got a chance to do an ad for Seventeen magazine. So these and, and each time I would get chosen to do something, you know, something always came of it. Another opportunity came because right. when I got the ad for Seventeen. It was like, oh, my God, it was just just out of just being in so, the environment and being exposed.
0: Was it a print ad that, that you did for the magazine? or um,
1: it, it was I think it, it was attached to that think tank we went to at, oh. at the Plaza Hotel. And, and then there were some photos, of course, taken, of course.
0: (laughs) And do you feel like this was helping to develop your, your, your confidence, uh, you know, in yourself overcoming any kind of those earlier issues that were coming up about just, you know, speaking out in class Mm -hmm. or whatever, like being, you know, did you, you know, if you had a good relationship with that home ec teacher and, and this was just helping you come more out of your shell, were you, were you feeling that at the time?
1: Oh, yeah. Each, each, each thing, you know, because it always uh, amazed me that, you know, I was chosen for one and, you know, people always kind of looked at me in a certain way because, oh, you know, I'll send her because maybe she can do it. Mm -hmm. When I got to high school, that was another opportunity. I had a teacher who there was some sort of speech contest or something that was happening. And it just, in thinking of doing this with you, it just brought all this stuff back. I was really going back in time. And I said, oh, I remember the speech contest. And this, this teacher, Mr. Stanley, he, he approached me and said, Oh, you know, there's this opportunity to, 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 to do this, this thing on the radio. And would you be interested mm-hmm. in? I said, well, not knowing exactly what it entailed, I was, yeah, sure. And so (laughs) we began to write this little speech and then I had to, you know, practice. I remember on my lunch hour, he was calling me down to his office and we'd, you know, go with a speech and then Mm -hmm. going into the state, the radio station to do it. And then I won it. So, you know, again, it was like, okay, it was like always to me getting into things through the back door, you know, never with a specific interest to say, oh, I'm going to do this. Right. Sure. These opportunities came and sometimes out of nowhere. And so uh, that's really how things tend to happen for me.
0: <laughs> and, okay. So, it, you know, with, with all these opportunities that are coming up and, and, you know, you're getting to experience, you know, more culture in the fashion world, the theater and all this kind of stuff. Did you start and, and with your earlier days of being really fascinated with, with television? Were you starting to sense that this was something you wanted to do? Were your parents very supportive of of these extracurricular activities? Or was it still always, well, this is very nice, but you're going to eventually work at the hospital or something?
1: Yeah. And it was, you know, to be honest, it was never thought that I could do any of this or that mm-hmm. it was something I want. It was just something that fascinated me and interested mm-hmm. me. So it was that. But I never had the thought, oh, I want to do this. Right, In some ways, okay. I wish I had. And mm-hmm. I think probably the reason why I never thought of it is because I thought, well, it's not for me, you know, it's for mm-hmm. other people, but it's certainly not for me because of my background and, and, you know, what's expected of me and so forth. So it was never anything that I said, oh, I'm going to do this. The one thing I did think I wanted to do, and again, it was because I've seen someone that, I, that was very dear to me exposed. The fashion design, for instance, I ended up going mm-hmm. to the high school of fashion industries. And that came about. I I have a cousin. Her name is Pearl. Pearl John is her name. And growing up, I thought Pearl was just the best thing ever. She was beautiful. She was so talented. And I remember spending the weekend at her house once and she was sitting at her, she went to fashion industries and she was doing an assignment and she was drawing this, this fashion, this, this figure of this woman in this beautiful outfit that she was designing. and. I was, I just, I was so fascinated by it. And I said, well, what is all this for? She told me it was an assignment she was doing. And, mm. you know, she went to, I said, well, what is it for? She said it was for her school. And she went to the high school of fashion industries. And I was like, oh, I said, well, how do you, well, how do you get into this school? What right, do you have sure, to do? Because yeah. I was about to graduate from junior high school, middle school. Mm-hmm. And I needed to choose a high school. And most of the kids were going right on to the neighborhood high school and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I thought. Oh, so fashion industries was in Manhattan and normally, you know, I was still in my community. You know, I was mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. school, then went to junior high school in my community. So going into Manhattan seemed fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And at the time we never went to Manhattan very sure. much. But, and I said, she says, well, you know, it's a specialized school. So there's certain things you'd need to do, particularly if you're interested in fashion design. Now, mind you, I had no experience in it. You know, I've never, I was never uh, considered myself an artist or anything. And mm-hmm. I said, well, what do I need to do? And she says, well, you're going to need a portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what does, what does that consist of? And she told me, she says, well, you have to do some still life drawing. And I said, well, what is still life? <laughs> and so yep, sure. she showed me some of her things and, you know, paintings of jars and apples and things like that Right. of course yeah so I said okay and she said you need to take a test a a math test and I said oh okay I was never really great at math but all this was but when you're young you think you can do it all so I said okay so I went home and I started doing just that she had given me one of her art books and I would see some of the the still life drawings and so forth and I just sat Mm -hmm. down and started trying my hand at it and mm. so by the time it came for declaring where you wanted to go and I told my counselor I wanted to go to fashion industries and and she also told me all these things I needed. By then I had already started acquiring some of that. Long story short, I went for the I I took the test because when you go in, you know, you had to you had to actually go there and you had to there's a model there and you had to draw the do a gesture oh, okay. drawing of the model and you know, they call it gesture drawing just to get the shape and then so forth mm-hmm. stuff. I went. I did that. Got in. <laughs> so I was in the fashion design program at the High School of Fashion Industries. Wow. That's where I met Mr. Stanley, where he then got me to do the radio thing and I did the the, the the contest and so forth. So that's how I got into fashion. But I was also fascinated by fashion. I love fashion even to this day. You know, that's that's just something that's always been a part of me. So.
0: Well, and I'm, I'm immediately thinking of the, the photo I've seen. There's, I don't, I don't think it was uh, Medea, but there's a production you did in the last couple of years, I think. And there's gold and there's red. Oh, the, that's the when I played
1: Hera in uh, Argonautica.
0: Yeah. And, and 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 I look at that and it's like, that's a very fashionable Hera. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very fashion conscious woman right there.
1: Everybody um, talks about that costume. <laughs>
0: So in high school, then, did you, had you kind of decided that you were going to pursue a career in fashion? Was this swaying your parents at all? I mean, uh, you know, were you looking at colleges and uh, how did you make that transition?
1: Okay, so when I got to fashion industries, I I realized that, first of all, all of the instructors at the time were these older Italian women. And Mm. they plucked them right out of the design houses to teach Mm -hmm. because fashion industries was a new trade school at the time. So not in my day, it had been going on before, but that's, that's how fashion industries got started. They needed because there are certain schools that were just for trades, different trades. And so New York being the fashion industry, they decided they needed a school dedicated to teaching the craft of the fashion industry, whether it be textile design, fashion design, illustration, you know, merchandising It's all of the, 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 what would fall under the fashion industry trade. And I did get into the fashion, which was the creme of the crop at the time, the fashion design program. So it was very competitive because everybody Mm -hmm. was fabulous. They were, you know, these are the young designers. But the problem that I had with the school was that the instructors were not trained educators per se. Mm -hmm. They knew how to teach the trade. So... Okay. A lot of them were very prejudiced, very, very much so, and mm. they made it very difficult. They, you know, you would submit work, and you always got this these grades. You said, well, "Why am I constantly getting this grade when it's the same grade each time?" It's like it was crazy. Right. I even tested the the thought because I knew that there was some. You know, prejudice going on. I remember we would have to work on samples, like when you were being taught how to do a buttonhole or install a zipper or, you know, the different style sleeves or just various little sample things. Right, of course. And every time I'd submit something, I I got a 65. It's like, why am Mm. I getting this? Because I I love to hand sew. And a lot of the stuff that they taught us, you know, we'd have to do very intricate, you know, hand sewing and so forth. And always the same grade. Mm, yeah. I remember telling this to my cousin, Pearl, who had years, because she was much older than I was years ago. And she kind of had some of the same experiences. But once I had her do the samples for me, I cheated. Mm. I had her do the sample we were doing because uh, you'd have samples where you just do straight stitching or you do zigzag, just different types of. Stuff. Sure. Yeah. Testing. It. And we had to do like a. um a, it's like starting from small and going out and increasing your stitch uh, as you go along. And they had to be exactly the same width, whether it's a quarter of an inch all the way okay. around yeah. or a half inch, but it had to, you had to keep that same measurement all the way around. And so she did the sample and I submitted it. It was perfect because she is, and it, she could build anything, this one. Hmm. What did I get?
0: You got a 65.
1: And it was this, this, this was this was always something. There was always mm. something, and so it, that always made me uncomfortable. And and yeah. at a young age, I I knew that that was that was a real thing. It wasn't in my right. in my imagination. To the point where I knew I had to test that by having mm. my my cousin Sabith do the sample for me. So I experienced a lot of that stuff, and I noticed that a lot of the the African American. People in the school were always complaining about certain things when it came to certain, they were just not taught how to teach they just knew how to teach what they knew which was right, right, the course. design part of it or the sewing or whatever mm-hmm. so i left there feeling very not connected to to the trade and i went to brooklyn college and there wasn't much of an option in terms of where i would go to college so i ended up going to a community uh, school which was brooklyn college and so when i got there i didn't really know what i was going to major in i didn't have a, a clue as to what it wasn't going to be fashion because if i wanted fashion i would have gone on to the Fashion Institute of Technology, FIT mm-hmm. or Parsons. Mm-hmm. And so those weren't options for me. So I went to what was available to me at the time. And it was at Brooklyn College that I, I remember when I was at high, at fashion industries, I did see there was a little drama program and I did see a play that they did of our town. And oh, okay, yeah. That was again that it, it, I went right to that. It was like, oh, it was it was it was really a good production, and I really enjoyed it. So that was always in the back of my mind. But even going to college, I didn't think that that's what I wanted to major in. Mm-hmm. What I was interested in at the time, because I did a lot of dancing, and I was exposed again in high school to this cultural organization. I was at the school called Black Unlimited. And at the time, during that time, the 70s, it was very much black people were getting into our cultural identity. We were related mm-hmm. you know, to to our culture and so forth. So sure. in this organization, it was we did a, a lot of African dancing and drumming and so forth. And so I realized I was very good at that and, and I loved it. And I became very involved with that organization and led it actually as that hmm. went on. And so when I got to college, I thought I was going to major in phys ed again because I was very physical. I loved, you know, thinking I can do all of that. But that really wasn't what I, I realized quickly. That's, that was not my main interest. Sure. So I decided to, I saw a, da- a production from the dance department and I ended up majoring in dance. Hmm. So I did that. And again, if I was really interested in dance, I probably would not have gone to Brooklyn College for that but right. that was my exposure that's where i was exposed to it so i ended up majoring there and yeah i graduated with
0: an degree so i mean i imagine you were you know not only taking classes but i mean there were productions there were there were dance productions that you were doing throughout school mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know you were and do you feel like you were sp- Could you tell you had a particular skill or talent for like ballet or modern dance or, or, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing?
1: Well, the program was basically, well, when you're studying dance at university, you have to sort of do a a lot of different style dancing. Of course, yeah. um, Our major, my major was in modern dance. We was a, a program, Graham was the technique, Martha Graham. So Mm -hmm. that, and of course we had ballet and we had some jazz, not it wasn't heavily related with jazz, but it was basically preparing you for what they would consider concert dancing, like joining a company or something. Okay. Got it. The problem with me is I started late, you know, to really, people always told me, and I think that's what got me into the department, you know, always said that I had such a beautiful quality in my movement. But in terms of being really technically strong, that takes Mm -hmm. a lot of years and you don't really start that. Uh, you know, when you get to college. So it's, right. you know, a lot of, again, as, as I said, a lot of how I came up in, in what I do is always through the back door. Cause it wasn't, you know, my main focus at, at five years old to right. be a dancer because that's what I should have been studying. I should have been in a ballet class, but it just didn't happen that way. So uh, it was a rude awakening when I remember doing my first audition outside mm-hmm. of, of Brooklyn college. And it was for, I, I don't even remember the name of the show, but it just showed me where I was at as a dancer. I remember some friends because when you're in, in a, in a, in a program, they generally don't like you to take classes, a lot of classes outside of where you mm-hmm. study because they think, Oh, sure. they're going to change your technique. It's not going to be what we're right. teaching you, blah, blah, blah. So right. we basically stuck to that. But then once we started, you know, moving out of that, and going to see what was going on in Manhattan. And well, you know, we I went to this audition with some friends of mine from my program. And we went there, you know, like, you know, little black leotard, pink tights, you know, sure, yeah, the yeah. way we would we, we were supposed to dress. And we're getting to this rehearsal room, and as the dancers started coming in, I mean the 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 leotard was hiked up to the side and you know, they had these leg warmers up, you know, and then this and the that and the heels and, you know, (laughs) ballet slippers was the most we danced with as far as shoes are concerned. And we immediately kind of looked around and we thought, oh, my God. And then the the, uh, choreographer steps into the room and he walks in there and he looks around and he says, okay, let's get this mess over with. And it was like, (laughs) what have I gotten myself into? So that, again, it was like, the realization was like, no, you, this is not your, because we were never into jazz. That was not the the program. Mm -hmm. The program Mm -hmm. was more, you know, contemporary dance. But so I think after I graduated college, I, you know, I continued to study. I actually auditioned for Alien. I got in on a scholarship there. Again, you know, things just kind of happening. And I was with Ailey for on scholarship there for almost two years. And then. And and I'm sorry,
0: what does that stand for? Or or what's Ailey? Or. Oh, Alvin Ailey, Ailey? American Dance You know the company, Alvin Ailey.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah. So I got, I was on scholarship there. And there was a young man that I was dating at the time who was with the third company. Alvin Ailey had three different uh, companies, the professional, then the Ailey one and Ailey two. Ailey one, you know, you started. Growing up with the company basically in the mm-hmm. first company. And if you, you know, continue to grow, you go to the second company. And hopefully if you're lucky, you get invited to be in the first company, which is the company. Right. So true. this young man I was dating at the time while I was there on a uh, scholarship, he was, he was doing a show. He was also an opera singer, which was very unusual. He mm. had this really deep, profundo voice and really beautiful voice. And he had been studying opera all along. And so but he had this facility as a dancer and he was striking. So he he was in this third company and had he stayed I think he would probably ended up in the first company. Anyway, mm. he got this tour and one day I just happened to go to rehearsal with him. And as I walked into the door, I noticed the director was someone I knew mm. from not only fashion industries, but who I had followed into Brooklyn College. And because oh, okay. it was just, we just happened to show up at the same places at each time. And he was the director and ended up giving me a job.
2: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so
1: I got my first tour. It was, the show was called Moving On Up. And there were just skits and songs and dances from the 20s and 30s. And so he needed a dancer, a stronger dancer. So I was hired as such, but we all had skits to do and we all had these songs to do. Now I don't sing it, you know, per se, I can sing with other folk, but, you know, so, but that was my first time really having lines and having to say lines and, you know, and it was so fun. We (laughs) traveled for six months all across the country and so coming back, instead of looking to the trades for dance stuff, I started looking for, you know, auditions for plays and so forth. And mm. that's really how I, I just started with that.
0: And, and this is, is this now like the mid mid to late 70s, somewhere in there? or yeah, early
1: 80s, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: early 80s, okay. Mm-hmm. and And... So you're in New York to early eighties. Were you, well, what were you doing for just a survival job or day, or day job, just kind of putting things together?
1: Okay. So this was my <laughs> lead into my next work adventure. Uh, I so, mean, it's,
0: it's kind of amazing that you've had like, you had so many different almost like career, like, you know, you were all in on fashion and then all in on dance and now all in on theater. And now it sounds like there's something else coming up too.
1: Well there is and it's such yeah. it's such a it's it's such a drastic change now yeah. where I'm headed now and I think partly why things went this way for me I think when you're a kid and you lack exposure to things mm-hmm, you never mm-hmm. know that you have the propensity for you, you never know that you would be interested in it or that you could yep. be good at something cuz right. I was experiencing stuff as it was happening so While on tour, as the tour was winding down, because I I had an apartment, my own apartment at the time, and loved my apartment, but I subletted that while I was on the road. So Mm -hmm. now coming back from the tour, everyone started thinking, oh, what are we going to do now? Show's over. You know, everybody's thinking about their next steps. So -hmm. there was a young man in the show who said he was going back to the job that he did prior. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, what is it that you... You do. And he said, well, I work for this company called A.G. Becker. And I said, well, what is that? He said, it's a investment banking firm. And I said, oh, I said, well, what do you do there? And he said, he's a cold caller. And I said, well, what is that? And he said, well, you know, they give you a stack of cards and on the cards, they have all the the information on all, you know, people who were really wealthy people and give the (laughs) industry what they did, blah, blah, blah. And, and of course there's a phone number, you know, to reach them. So he would just make the phone call. He'd get on the phone and said, Hi, my name is so and so. I'm calling from AG e. Becker for so, so and so Steve, whatever, and the name of the broker. And mm-hmm, the hope mm-hmm. was that they would get the person on the line so that the broker would be able to speak to them and right, talk right. to them and introduce them to their firm and what they did and blah, blah, blah. Right. Of course. And yeah. all the services. So that I said, is that it? he said, yeah. So it just so happens that the person in charge of the cold callers, as they were called, was an actor. So he I don't know. Okay. hired all of his friends because the brokers always felt that the actors had a better presentation. You know, they, they you know spoke better, blah, blah, blah. Sure. So yeah, yeah. I said, well, I need a job. Do you think I could get a job there? And he said, oh, yeah, Tony, he'd love you. So he hooked me up with Tony. I went down hired me on the spot. <laughs> I think I started the next day. I was like a bull in a china shop because I knew nothing about investments. You know, that was just not within my realm of, of my experience. So he hired me. I got there. I was matched up with a broker making these phone calls day in and day out. And I immediately mm-hmm. got bored with that. And and I was looking around and there was another job that I saw that, you know, people were doing and mainly um, the women were doing it. And I said, "Well, what I got interested in what they would do it, and their position yeah. was called a sales assistant. Okay. And the sales assistant's job basically is working hand in hand with the broker, and they mm-hmm. took care of all of the accounts. They, you know, once the broker opened the account, you know, they handled everything from opening accounts, keeping the, the customers satisfied, providing them with research, name it, whatever. Was sure, sure. So I, I thought, well, this seems like a step up. So I asked the one of the sales man, sales assistants that I, I became friends with and I said, well, how do I go about doing what you do? And she says, well, why don't you speak to Eileen? She's in charge and, you know, just yep. tell her you're interested. And I said, but I don't have any experience. And she says, well, you know, just tell her you're interested and maybe she may, you know, pair you with someone, you know, that can train right, you. Right. So that's exactly what I did. I went to her and she it just so happens that there was a team of brokers, there were two brokers who was about to lose one of their assistants. They each broker had their own and one assistant was was moving on. So she said, Well, the manager said, Well, I'll put you with this team and their assistant who is very good, she could, you know, train you and but you could still be of aid to the team because they were very busy, it was a very, very busy team. There's the two, mm-hmm. two brokers, but they were really very busy because all of these clients were like high net worth people. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you had to cater to them for every little thing. So I ended up being placed there and I learned the business. Now, these two brokers, they were the minute the the, the bell rang and the business was down for the day, they were out of the office. So yep. they needed someone who could still put in late trades and do this and, do you know, just take care of everybody. I wasn't registered at the time. In order to do trading and, right. and so forth, you had to be registered. So the next thing I knew, the guy that I worked for immediately, he said, well, you know, Marilyn, would you be interested in, in, in getting um, your license? And I thought, well, you know, OK, so in order to get your license, you have to be employed by a, a brokerage firm. So. Okay. They sent me to securities training. Next thing I know, there's a school called wow. securities training where people learn about the business. You learn about right. stocks, bonds, commodities, the whole nine yards. And there's a very difficult test that you have to take called the series seven test. Okay. And it's, it's very, very hard to pass it because there are all these different components from options to, to, to bonds to, 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 to institutional this. So it's a lot of stuff. And I was like, hmm, I was never great at any of this math and all of that stuff. So the last place I thought I would end up would be in a, in a, in a position like this. So I went ahead. I took the course. It was several months and at the end of it, you go to take the test. I took the test and somehow the gods were with me. I passed the test. (laughs) So I was now, I was now licensed to. Right, just trade stocks to do trades. Yeah, yeah. So I was with. We left the the couple that I was with, the two brokers. The guy that I worked with directly, he left the business, so he left all of his clients Mm -hmm. to the other woman, his partner. Her name was Mary Ellen. Oh, I'm not even sure if she's still with us. Mary Ellen Kay was her name, Mm -hmm. and she was. What they call a BITCH on wheels, but it was, <laughs> it was interesting working with them. But anyway, long story short, we left. AG Becker got bought out by Merrill yep. Lynch, but oh, they okay. only bought the institutional side. We were in retail, just dealing with individual clients. So everybody in the retail side was out of work because
2: oh,
1: okay. uh, Merrill didn't take them. So everybody was scamming around trying to figure out where they were going to go. So my broker, Mary Ellen Kay got us a deal at Bear Stearns. You've probably heard of Bear Stearns. Oh, sure. yeah. So we left on a Friday, started work with Bear Stearns on a Monday. Now, mind you, I had never been inside the HR office at Bear Stearns because the deal was made. Because you see, once you are a high, what they call a high producer, Mm -hmm. you know, You can get picked up by anybody because they want all of your hiring clients to come along. So because her book had expanded in size because of the other broker leaving and giving her all of his clients, she looked Mm -hmm. like she was the big thing. Mm -hmm. So they picked Mm -hmm. her up like right away. So Mm -hmm. as I said, we left A.T. Becker on a Friday. On a Monday, we went over to, to start our career over at Bear Stearns. And you, that, you know,
0: was, I want to jump in because what I love is, is, as you've been telling these stories is that you, this quality of that, you, that you were always seem to be unafraid to ask, well, what is that? And <laughs> how do I do that? And I mean, you know, like that and that, but that leads to so many opportunities. I think yeah. there's a lot of people that. Don't even allow themselves to ask those questions, but, you know, just being like, well, how do you, like, how do you get into that? Yeah, how do you do yeah. that? And, then, and, and and I mean, even though you're saying, like, you know, you didn't know you wanted to do it, but there was a certain quality within you that, you know, you were comfortable asking those questions at least.
1: Well, I'm a Gemini. I think that might give you some clue. I just okay. have this, this uh, I just have a, very, a wide interest in, a lot of interest in a lot of different yeah. things. So getting to Bear Stearns now, so... You know, now we're there in this plush office and it's this and, and so forth. And then I had to get license for another test I had to take called the series 63. And the 63 gives you, cause right now with the six, with the seven, I could trade, but in New York, the 63 allows you to trade in all the states. So oh, okay. that was the next test I had to do. My broker also did commodities. So, and the thing is, these brokers, the work is really all on, on the trading assistant because they, mm-hmm. they, they, the bell rings and they're out of there. So you had right, to reconcile right. trades. You had to, you know, it's, it's a lot after the trade is submitted. You have to, you know, make your, your reports and all that stuff. So then she wanted me to do the commodities and that's where things ended for me there. <laughs> it was like, okay, commodities was a whole nother thing. Even though quiet as it's kept, I was trading commodities when I shouldn't have been, but. Okay, that, okay. That's between me and you now. But anyway, <laughs> long so that when I, at, and at that point I was still studying. I had found a, an acting teacher that I really liked. I was working with her, a woman named Dana Zella Alexis. I was okay. taking classes with her. I was still wow. taking my ballet class. There was a, a ballet teacher named Don Farnsworth in the ABC building. I was doing that as well. So.
0: So this you know, is the period of your life where you weren't sleeping at all, it sounds like. No, I, you no. know.
1: <laughs> but who slept when you were like, you know, in your 20s? Nobody slept. You it,
0: well, in, 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 in the 80s in New York, yeah, whoever slept. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know. It was, it was all about like, let's make as much money as we can and let's do let's and, create as much art as we can. And yeah. I have to
1: tell you, it was a fabulous time, you know, for someone that yeah. age. Most of the friends I knew, they were all... You know, bunking with each other and touring in an apartment and so forth. I had my own apartment in Parkville, which is one of the nicest communities in Brooklyn. You know, sometimes within the company, they would have these contests for the Brokers just as motivating things. So whoever was the biggest producer for the month, you can get limousine rides for a month. You know, you'd have oh, a memo service, yeah, to pick you yeah. up, take you to work, take you out, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so we won a lot of the contests. So there were times, and sometimes my broker would, if she was out of town or whatever, my partner, Wendy and I, we were both, she was Wendy Jones and I was Farrell Jones. So there were all these okay. coincidences. People always thought we were sisters, but she was a yeah. blonde haired blue eyed girl. And I was the black woman, <laughs> right? So, but well, we had a great team th- between the two of us because we knew how to cover for each other and so forth. Sometimes I'd have to leave a little early, you know, th- yeah, sure. still, you know, doing that kind of thing. So, you, you know, there were times when I'd get the limo to take me to work <laughs> and we would trade off so we had some of these things oh, or crazy. you know yeah, yeah. tickets for whatever hot show was coming up or the ballet or whatever so there were a lot of uh, you know real kind of
0: perks of yeah perks, exactly yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and and did you see you know all the ballet in the theater is just something you were doing on the side or did you still feel like no that's where i'm going or or how were you kind of balancing it or managing it at the time
1: you know, to really be honest, I knew I wanted, uh, I wanted to continue to do these things, but I didn't ever feel, again, because I always came to the back door, I never felt really quite ready for it. Because, mm-hmm. okay. you know, even though I was auditioning, I was getting little parts here and there, but these were like, you know, more community type things. They weren't really big sure, things. Yeah. So the biggest thing was being with Ellie and, and being able to study there. But again, I didn't feel ready to make any big proclamations that I'm going to be this, you know, it was just things that right, I did. Right. So I ended up visiting LA once still working at Bear Stearns and I had such a great time. i met a friend who had my, a good friend of mine in New York had a roommate who had just come to New York to do a Broadway play Okay, and she was staying with her. And so she said, oh, you have to meet, you know, my, my roommate, she's just opening in a show it was called open admissions. It was on Broadway for two minutes so I went she invited me to go I went to see the show we met up afterwards and she was so fascinated and I loved her and we had dinner and we we kept in touch even after she went back to to LA and when I realized I wanted to go visit because she said oh come come out come out come out and visit and I did go out I spent some time with her had a great time and I saw the lay of the land I saw you know how she you know the auditions and this and It was Mm -hmm. just, she was, she was the real deal. She was an actress. She was, she was getting work. She was, she, her breakthrough, she had a breakthrough film and a film called Baghdad Cafe. And, you know, so I saw, wow, so this seemed like doable. It seemed possible. Right, sure. okay. So I went back to New York and I thought, you know what? I think I like California. The weather was great. And then the beauty of it was there's an, there was an L.A., Office Bear Stearns had an LA office. Oh, okay. So I immediately went to my supervisor in New York and I said, You know, I'm thinking of relocating to LA and I, you know, there is an LA office. And what's the potential of me transferring to the LA office? So she immediately put me in touch with the manager, the branch manager in LA. I spoke with him. He wanted to know what my interests were. I told him I'm going to come out. At the time, they didn't have anything because it's a much smaller office than the New York office. So he said, well, you know, you're still an employee of Bear Stearns. So if something opens up here, you would be, you know, first in line to get a position. So I said, "Okay, "Okay, good with that promise. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to make the move out there. I took a leave of absence. I think I had like a three month leave of absence, which was perfect because I knew at any time I can get the job back. And mm-hmm. it'd give me a time to come out to LA, get acclimated, learn the lay of the land, and so forth. So I did just that. So when I went back, I gave myself six months to prepare. Shocked my family because there was never any thought of sure, yeah. one of us leaving, you know, the state where we all lived. So right. I I did just that. I, I moved out. I stayed with my friend for a while, and then I got an apartment and sharing with another actress and. I did this for, I think in LA, well, in New York, I was with B.S. students about eight years in New York. Wow! And so okay. in LA, I think I was with them for about four years because wow. the beauty of being in the LA office is that we worked on New York time. So when the market wow, closed okay. in New York, I started work at six in the morning, but by noon yep. I was done.
2: Wow. So it was okay. the perfect,
1: perfect transition. But the the kicker was my three month leave leave of absence didn't turn out to be three months. I was so once I got to L.A. to stop by the office just so that the L.A. office could meet me and and know that sort of thing. I did just that. The first week I got there, I did exactly that. I said, "Let me get this out of the way so I can get started in L.A." I called up. I made it up. I went in. I met the the manager there. It took me all around. Introduced me to all the different people and blah blah blah. Then I went to. The, the HR person there. And she so she gave me a Thomas guide. She says, oh, this is what you do. She even gave me yeah, oh, sure. the name of a, of a temp agency in case I needed you know something to do before I got a spot there with them. So I left. I was feeling great. I thought I did my duty. I can go because I had saved a lot of money. So I knew I would be fine for a little while. Right. As I was leaving her office, there was a woman who was coming in just as I was leaving. And so we just acknowledged each other, and I kept going. So I went downstairs. My friend was waiting for me. She picked me up, and we were off. So she took me to Malibu, and we went all over the place, and it was just fantastic. And just knowing, for all these years, I had this job that I didn't have right. to worry about it. I had three months, so it was great. Right,
2: right, right, right.
1: So this, we got back to to her apartment, and she says, "Oh, V, there's a message from you for you from your company." And I said, oh, really? So I call back and the lady says to me, the uh, manager, she says, Farrell, and she says, I know we said there wasn't anything for you right now. She says, but something came up right after you left my office. Something came up. You remember the person I told you that I clocked and yeah, sure, I yeah, mean yeah. She, was she was one of the trading assistants for an institutional broker. And she came down to request a leave of absence because she was burnt out.
2: Oh wow. So
1: guess who got her job? (laughs) (laughs) So here I was, my three month leave was out the door. I think I started the very next week. Wow. working so here i am now in back in a full-time job but again the beauty of that is that i got out of work very early so i was still able to go off and do things mm-hmm.
0: and then so you know you, you you start i imagine start doing auditions and i just wanted to kind of jump ahead a, a little bit so because i saw you you got some work on seinfeld pretty early on
1: that was um, my very first job mm mm-hmm.
0: And and so, I mean, it just came, you know, from auditioning and, and, and all that no, kind of stuff. No, I'll tell no? you how okay. that one was <laughs> The very first play that I did
1: in L.A. was The Bacchae at the Odyssey Theater. Oh, okay. And yeah. there was a, one of the, the the women that was in the cast. Her boyfriend was an actor, but he was also a writer. And he had written a play and he asked his girlfriend if she could help him cast it. And so she asked me if I would read one of the roles. And I said, sure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the reading now, during the reading, it as it turns out, we did the reading. It was fun. And that was that. The very next day, I got a call from one of the other ladies that's that was in the reading who, mm-hmm. who said to me, Oh, Marilyn, is it okay for me to give your name to Mark Hirschfeld? Because he asked me about you. And I said, well, who's Mark Hirschfeld? Because I wasn't even aware of all of the casting people at the time. And at sure. the time, Mark Hirschfeld happened to have been one of the biggest casting people in the industry. And he she invited him to see her in the reading.
0: Oh, OK. He
1: ended up asking her, how do I get in touch with that actress, the black actress that was in the the reading with you? Yep, I was yep. the only one. So it had to be me. <laughs> so she next thing I know, I get this call from Mark Hirschfeld himself. Not even his assistant wow. saying say that he had seen me in the reading. He loved what I I did. And. He's got a role that he thinks I would be great to read for. And I said, well, what's the show? And he said, Seinfeld. Now, Seinfeld at the time was the hottest ticket yeah, in town. Yeah, it
0: was a big show. Yeah,
1: I was, I was blown away. So I went in and I read for it. And I remember when I read for it, I remember the response in the room was this big outburst of laughter. And I was like, what is it? I left. The audition, I was tingling all over because something, to, I, it just felt so good. It was, the role yeah, yeah, yeah. was, the character's name was Renee and Renee mm-hmm. was a friend of Elaine, the, the, the female character on Randfell. Right, yes, yeah. The, it, the episode was called The Orgasm. And so I got booked for it. I went in, I did. It was my first, I was terrified because it was my very first, you know, experience.
0: Um, And and you're on the set with some, you know, these major people, you know,
1: imagine that. Right. And I was I felt so intimidated, but and it was live and all of that, which was so nerve wracking. But I did it. And again, when I did the line, it was this uproarious laughter. I was like, I could the audience reaction was insane. I was like, really? So the line was Renee, I'm passing Elaine's office. And she says, Renee, can I speak to you for a minute? And I said, sure. And she says, well, let me ask you a question. She says, have you ever faked it? You know, during. Right. Sex. Yeah, yeah. And my response was, sure. And she says, well, like when? And I said, oh, well, if we had um, some really good seats at a Broadway show, or if I just want to get some, some <laughs> time and I want to get some sleep. And somehow that was like this major thing, I guess, the way yeah, it was done. Yeah. So that ended up getting me a recurring on the show. I wow. remember when I went back for the second episode that I did, the, one of the head writers came up to me and she was telling me, they got letters saying how happy they were to see Elaine with a friend. Mm. Because all of the episodes, you know, it's always her and guys, her and right, the guys course, and the yeah, guys. Yeah. And they wanted to expand her her world a little bit. And so mm. they decided to throw in a female that, you know, coworker, worker And, right, right, and right. that was me. So and at the time, we didn't see too many women or black people on the show, period. Anyway. Sure, of
0: course. And yeah. so
1: that I guess that really kind of opened their eyes. I said, oh, well, yeah, she needs some friends. She needs to have, you know. So that's how I got on Seinfeld.
0: And, and did you, I mean, you know, again, you mentioned like it was your first show. You were very intimidated, but did you find it a welcoming set? Did it feel like something? Okay. I, I want to keep doing this or, you know, hell
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Money was good. You got a good Money reaction from the crowd. And, that, know, yeah. and not
1: only, you know, getting it the way I got it, you know, didn't to right. yeah, do, you know, trying to get into see the cast in person, trying to get them to give me the audition. It just came to me in that way. And then, you know, thinking I'm going to do one episode and then, you know, I got sure. a call for another one and then another one. So yeah, it made me think, Oh, I could do this. And it, it, it felt when it was right, it felt so right. I mean, the audition, as I said, when I left that first audition, it was just, it was such a feeling. It was, it, 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 it was a quite an experience. And it made me think, Oh, I, I could right. do this. It was the first time I actually felt honestly to myself that I could do this.
0: And did you, did you have an agent prior to that or did that didn't, all come? I did I Okay. Uh, every, so all, everything came after Seinfeld just, and just being able to book more work or going for more, you know, just having more auditions and, and yeah, things like that. Yeah. You, you, you just started to show up in more people's radars. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the same thing kind of happened, you know, with theater.
0: Well, and I and I know just a little bit you know later i I noticed there it was actually really cool because i know you're you're married to another actor and and he's also a director as well but i saw that you guys worked together twice you know relatively early like in 99 and 2000 you were doing both episodes of city of angels and er Mm -hmm. and and here you know at least with both of those shows you again have some really strong actors and really strong performers and, and especially with er a very established show and all this kind of stuff and was it, it was on was it was on City of Angels that you guys played husband and wife, right? Uh, that... Um no, it was on ER. Oh yeah. ER, okay. Yeah. And so were those opportunities just coming from agents or how, how did you guys end up playing husband and wife on that show? We
1: have two different agents. You know, it and, and, and still I was struggling with agents. I never at that point had felt I had really good agents, but I, I, I did get that through my agent,
0: yeah. <laughs> and and the fact that you guys ended up playing husband and wife on the show, was that just Luck was it happenstance, or was there a conversation at some point with the writers, or or no, no. That?
1: We went in. His agent submitted him, and my agent yep. submitted me, and we both got the audition. And then okay. when we got there, and they realized we were actual husband and wife, I don't know oh, if that okay. made a difference with them, but we went in not through the same agent.
0: Oh, okay. And and do you feel like you took anything away from those? Those two shows, The City of Angels and ER, you know, just because of how established they were and, and, the, and the quality of actors that were on them. And then probably also the writers and the showrunners. Do, do you feel like you took anything away from them in terms of your view of the industry, of, of what you were seeing, how they were working or anything that you used in your own career?
1: Well, you know, every time you go on set, you learn something. And, and it's always an exposure because you you get to work with DPs, you get to work with with mm. directors. And sometimes, you know, you, you watch and you just, it's just good to be out there, to be seen and to get to know who the players are. And then each time you get on a set, you learn, you, you, at least for me, it was, it's each time because it's new people, new directors, new, new everybody. So each time you get on a set, it's almost like learning something new and taking in different things. So it was just a fascinating thing for me again, because all of this is relatively new to me. And so I just took whatever I could take whenever I can get it, really. So.
0: And, and so was it after Seinfeld that you felt like you wanted to make? more of a, you know, more of a go, like you wanted to be even more committed to Mm -hmm. acting and and leave the financial or, you know, the stocks and the trading behind. Was that? Yeah. And
1: I think when I decided to move out here, even Mm -hmm. before getting, you know, Seinfeld or anything like that, I think the idea when I decided to move was because I wanted to pursue that. Mm
2: -hmm. And I knew Mm -hmm. in,
1: in New York, I there were those opportunities. And because I had a friend here who was very much a working actress. I felt that I could learn more from some. It's almost like having a mentor, someone who who knows the industry, and she kind of helped me quite a bit in terms of knowing who the casting people were. Because in those days, you have to. Those days, you were actually you know when you had your fifteen hundred photos that you were supposed to have, you know, doing mailings, you had to mail your stuff out with letters to casting people, trying to get them to bring you in on stuff. So, you know, I was learning that that's kind of how you have to do it, particularly if you didn't have representation or good representation, which I didn't have at the time. So a lot of it for a lot of actors, when they're trying to break through, there's a lot of legwork you got to do, you know, trying to send out, keeping your photos out there, circulating and hoping that a casting director is going to call you in, or that's that's really how you 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 get in if you don't have an agent.
0: And and were the you know because it, it looked like you know you worked you know fairly steadily in, in TV you know through through the 90s and 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 the early aughts and all that kind of stuff. Where was that enough? To keep you financially going, or, or had you built up enough with the with the stocks and trade, or or were you still trading and you know or whatever? Uh, well, uh, while I was
1: doing both, because even when I yep. I did the Seinfeld thing and all of that, I was still working. Right. I think within my office, they were so tickled that I did this and what yeah, sure. I first mentioned. You know, because there were times when I'd have to fly it a little bit earlier than when the bell rang or whatever for an audition. I just, I just was a little lucky. They were just kind of intrigued by, you know, what I did. Oh, sure. And so, but then when I got the Seinfeld, well, that, that was it. Because at the time, most of the people, most people were watching (laughs) Seinfeld. It was like the best thing. So that gave them, you know, a little more confidence in me that, oh, okay. So if I said I had to, another episode, oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Another episode. Sure. sure." So, you know, that allowed me that, but. I actually left the business after a while when I started, when I had gotten the first agent that I thought that could really help me. I think mm-hmm. that's when I segued out of, um, investment banking. I, I actually made a move from Bear Stearns before resigning the business, um, to another firm called, I was recruited by another firm called Donaldson Lufkin and Jenrette. Red. I don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. that company. they now but... at Credit Suisse, um, First Boston, something. Oh, a okay. different name now. But at the time, they were Donaldson, Lufkin, and Genrette. And I remember getting a a call from a headhunter asking me if I was interested in making a move. Because I had left. I was working institutionally when I got out here, which was not my thing in New York. It was retail. But I was working with an institutional broker. And we dealt with all these major institutions. So at that time, I needed more time to... That was a different uh, kettle of fish working institutionally. 'Cause even with the market closing, you were still dealing with these head you know, these big hedge funds who still needed you constantly and so forth. So that was getting a little much. So I re- I thought that was a chance to kind of segue out of investment banking. So but then I got the call from the headhunter to go to Donaldson Lufkin and Red. And there was some monies involved in And I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't walk away right now. So I went there and I st- stayed maybe about two two years, I think, there. And finally, I said, "Okay, this is it," because I was working with mm, a very difficult mm. broker, and I just did not have oh, okay. it anymore. So he was a, a, a gambler. I was working for two brokers that were very. One was an alcoholic. The other one was what do you call? Uh, he was he 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 had a problem with
0: gambling, and was he a compulsive was compulsive gam- gambler kind of thing.
1: Yeah, he was churning. Comp- There's a term called churning. He was churning the clients' accounts, churning, meaning oh. that he was constantly trading these accounts with no investment principle involved. You know, oh, he bought a stock today, he'd sell it the next day. And that's not, mm. you know, portfolio building when you're doing that. And he was right. just churning the accounts for the commissions. Because every time you trade, buy or sell, he was getting a commission. So he got pulled into the office. He was let go. He lost his license. And I was being called in constantly to have to explain what he was doing and what the reasons behind this trade and why oh, did geez. he do this. And it was like beyond my... i. It, you know, it just wasn't me. And the other one being an alcoholic, it was just much. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. that was when I said, you know what, let me just see if I could really just do this. And so I retired from there from investment banking.
0: And and so the work that you were getting as an actor, you know, through the nineties, w- w- that was enough to sustain you, you know, in terms of your, in terms of just living as a working actor, was that, uh, you, w- <laughs> were you able to do that? Oh my God, there's yet another term. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs>
1: You know, I was living high on the hog at the time. I was, you know, making a lot of money. Um, Did
0: you become like an astronaut at this point, I, Marilyn? What, what are we going <laughs> to uncover now? An astronaut? Uh,
1: no, I, you know, because I, I, you know, I, 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 as I said, I lived very well. I was able to travel and do all these things. Sure, yeah, yeah. I bought a house, you know, it was all these things going on. So, I knew whatever, I, I'd never waitressed, I'd never done any of those things. So For sure, yeah. I didn't really know how to do any of that kind of stuff. So I was always trying to figure out, well, what, how will I be able to maintain the livelihood that I've, you know, given to myself all these years Yep, yep that sure. I couldn't. And then I had this mortgage because I had a house and all that. I got it with my husband, of course, but still, you know, we had these things. And so I was wondering, well, what to do. And I used to, you know, I used to really take good care of myself. I get massages and this and that, and the other. So, you know, every couple of weeks I had my masseuse and I go, in, and he was, he was just wonderful, and I loved it. And so one day I asked him. He hit, was, he told me his story once. He used to work yeah. in medical records at a hospital. And okay, yeah. and I knew every time I went to see him, I was dropping down 125, dollars you know, because he, you know, he'd come to me or I'd go to him. But it was I was paying the money by the time I came yeah, sure. to And I said to him, well, "How did you make this change from <laughs> from being a, a medical records guy at a hospital?" And he yeah. said, "Well, this was it. I decided I wanted to, you know, have my own business, have my own time, because for me, having the time was always the thing." You know, even Mm -hmm. if I was getting off work early in investment banking, it was still sometimes I needed to go earlier and I was always trying to find a way out. How do I get out to do this audition or whatever? So my goal at this point was to find something to do that I would do it on my own time and I would Mm -hmm, still be mm -hmm. able to make a certain amount of money.
0: So guess what I did? It sounds like Baralyn became a masseuse. Yes. <laughs> I, I okay. I mean, I did research, but I did not uncover any of this. This is this is amazing. All well, the that's different the kind uh, of stuff it, that
1: wouldn't be on IMDb.
0: Well, I know, like I know, that. but this is like the secret life of Marilyn <laughs> Jones. Here, it's just like uh, you know, oh my goodness, you know, from from the tiny island of Caracu <laughs> to you know these four four or five very different careers across the country. I
1: know, I know. It's that's just how things happened for me, and so I did that for a couple of years. And you know, I made money because I was very good at it. I was very—I always had these really big hands and and strong. I was always very strong. And I took a course. He told me where to go to take the course. Yep, sure. I took the course. I got licensed, and I went to you know the Peninsula Hotel.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, Bradley sure. Oh, well, well you and then and then you went to you, you went back to all your bears and the Stearns friends, and said, "Now come to me for your massages." Right? You got it. <laughs> So that, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like any, any freelancer, you go to the people with money. You say,
1: you okay. I know you got money. So come on down. There you go. And so I ended up also working at a friend of mine used to work at the bar at the peninsula. And I don't know if you know the peninsula oh, okay. is this big, fancy yeah. place in Beverly Hills, really nice place. And so, you know, sometimes after work, it was right there in Century City, which is where Bear Stearns was at the time. So oh. when the peninsula was opening up, a friend of mine from Pierre mm-hmm. Stearns, she told me that she was invited to go to view the get a tour of the hotel and okay. went to the spa upstairs in the spa and they had a beautiful luncheon and so forth. And so I was looking around the spa and I thought, oh. They do massages here. Hello. Mm. And so I, I, I was able to get on their call list. So if someone needed a massage, they'd call and say, oh, can you do right. this? And so I'd go. And I can't tell you all of the amazing people I've met. Because all the, mm. the, the big, the big, of big, course. big, everybody would go through and stay at the Peninsula Hotel. People coming right, right, through right. from New York, wherever they were coming from. Sure, so, yeah. uh, I became good friends with Elaine Stritch as a result of oh, that. Yeah. She was yeah. out here doing a film and she, they called me once to, to see if I would be interested in doing a massage. And I said, sure. And I got Then it was her. And she was just <laughs> the most difficult person in the world. But we'd have these great <laughs> conversations and, and you know, sometimes after the massage, I'll sit there, we talk and she says, oh, honey, look in there at that fridge. And you know, she was diabetic, so she had her whole little fridge set up in the room and all. And oh, there's the a yeah, thing yeah. there, bring it out here. Come, let's have a little talk. And we'd sit and we'd talk and very, there any number of people I could talk about that I've met there. So wow. I've, I've had tea with a Saudi princess, you oh, know, cool. I've had this, um, I forget her name at this point, but she was a journalist in France and she had a whole suite and she had all her friends and they were having dinner one night and they invited me to stay, you know, just <laughs> things like that, you know. So oh, wow. that was just another, but I did that for a short while. And then after that, I just kind of, you know, winged it from there. No more new jobs. I, I can offer you that. <laughs> well,
0: okay. So, so just, just, I, I know, you know, maybe we're around the same period. Yeah. I was reading about the, the lower depth theater yeah, it, and, and I couldn't tell. Was that started in like 05 or I know you did a production in 2010, but yeah. did you start it in 05? Well, we started talking, you know, a few, a
1: couple of okay. years before the actual thing because we had to go through the processes of figuring out. What we were going to be and
0: so yeah, and, okay. and
1: getting our nonprofit and all of that. So yeah, the first production was around ten, I think.
0: And so where like where did that need? Or, or desire or vision come from in terms of forming, forming that company.
1: You know, it started with my husband and a couple that we know who happen to be partners in the, in the company with us now. Mm-hmm. Just conversations about roles that we wanted to play, that we wanted to do, or we were interested in the classics, but we mm-hmm. wanted to find these adaptations of the classics. You know, and not just do them as they are, but to find these interesting adaptations. The the very first play that we did, for instance, was called Two Sisters After Three Sisters After Chekhov. And it was written by a Caribbean playwright by the name of Mustafa Matura. And he translated instead of it was the, the sisters going to Cambridge instead of, you know, going to Moscow. So it, it he and it was a beautiful adaptation. So that was really our interest. We thought we could find these adaptations and because we are people of color, we wanted, right. you know, to to do work that kind of inspired was inspired by the classics, but to make it so that we could see our lens ourselves through those lens, the, the lens of color.
0: And, and things that you, I, I imagine, were not seeing elsewhere, and, and it, we're not seeing opportunities exactly. for yourselves to do elsewhere. Exactly. And I, what I thought was particularly interesting about the the three sisters after Chekhov, you know, like you said, it, it had this Caribbean setting, mm-hmm. but it, it was also it looked like it probably would have been like maybe your parents' generation, the the women you were playing, mm-hmm. and so. Like, were you like, did you feel like reading this? Like, I know, I know these people. Well, like, absolutely. I, 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 yeah, a-
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So that's where we started. That was the idea, the genesis of, mm-hmm. of, of the company. But in terms of how, you know, I was always interested. I used to watch a lot of the BBC production. Oh, okay. And, yeah, yeah. and that was really the, ty- the, the type of programming I enjoyed. I, I loved it. And so I was always fascinated by literature and 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 text you know when you hear these these great words and so forth so it, it was fascinating to me to I, I always i didn't think i could ever do that you know because i didn't think i had that bone in me to to be able to do that but it was something i was interested in and so that's i guess the genesis of how we why we wanted like to start the company but in in that time i think this the way i got kind of hooked into theater in LA
2: mm-hmm.
1: was yeah. it started with the, the Buckeye when I did that at the, right. the Odyssey, but it was, I, I met like a Jeannie Hackett, you know who Jeannie Hackett? Oh, at. sure. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'd learned about MTS let me just put it that way. Yeah. I'd learned about MTS, but I didn't really know anything about the who was involved and so forth. And mm-hmm. A woman that I worked with, uh, Fran Bennett, I don't know if you're familiar with Fran Bennett.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I definitely know a friend. Fran's work.
1: Right, yeah. so, but even going back before the Antias people, my husband, Greg, was doing a, a film with one of the women who worked with the Ellie Women's Shakespeare Company.
0: Right, okay, yeah.
1: And he had mentioned, she had mentioned a play that they were doing, uh, they were going to audition for it. That's what it was doing, about to audition for Hamlet. And okay. I had never really done Shakespeare, but it was something mm-hmm. that I was interested in. So I went in and I read for it. I don't, I remember it was the weekend we were moving into our house. And so I had no, everything was packed up. I had no clothes. I think I ended up the weekend <laughs> when I realized, oh my God, this is what I have. And I ended up yeah, going yeah. to the audition. And when they ask you, well, who are you interested in reading for, you know, being kind of ignorant to what they were doing at the time. That is the LA yeah. Women Shakespeare Company. So I could go in and ask to do any role. But of course, the, what did I say, Gertrude? Because, you know, I figured, okay, that's what you sure. do. Yeah. Anyway, I went in and I read for Gertrude. And then they asked if I would read for Claudius. Uh-huh. So I went, they gave me the side. I think I went back and I, I read for Claudius. Next thing I know, they cast me as Claudius. So that was my first experience with really working with the Ellie Women's Shakespeare Company. And through sh- the Ellie Women's Shakespeare Company, because Fran Bennett was a member of the company, right. and she had mentioned something about Antaeus. And again, was like, what is Antaeus? And so, you know, I learned right. a little bit about it. And then she told me, oh, well, you know, they, they, it's a company of very seasoned actors and you know they're just you know wonderful actors and so forth and I think I went to see something they did and I was like oh yeah this is kind of what I want to do this is this is excellent 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 so I don't think I think I'd asked her to help me get in or to be introduced or whatever that never happened What did happen? I was, uh, Lisa Volpe, I'm sure you know her. Mm -hmm. She was invited to attend a meeting when Michael Ritchie from the taper first came in. And, you know, prior to him coming, you know, the taper had all of these workshops. You know, there was the Latino lab. There was the Asian lab. There was the blacksmiths, which was the the black lab. So this were, these were places where that nurtured new playwrights and so forth.
2: Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm.
1: I had done a, I did a reading did one of those readings through their blacksmith's component. And that's how I got my equity card through join that job. Oh, okay. So she Lisa could not attend the meeting that Michael Ritchie set up because what he did, he did away with all of those labs, all of the labs mm-hmm. where a lot of actors got a chance to, to meet new writers and to work out and so forth. He thought that they weren't doing what they were meant to do, which was to get productions to go to the main stage. And so okay. he just dissolved all of them. It was a big blow mm-hmm. because that was a place where a lot of actors got a chance to work out. It was like a a, a theatrical home, which I had felt privileged to be a part of, having done that right. very first reading, and as a result, doing more and getting my equity card from there. When I came to LA, I already had my SAG card, but I didn't have my equity card, so I I I was kind of devastated that these things happened. But anyway, so he 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 decided he was going to involve all of the local theater companies and mm-hmm. he wanted uh, the, he invited all of the artistic directors to attend this meeting where he was supposed to explain his raison d'etre for doing what he did and to tell sure. us what he hoped to expand the program to and so Lisa Volpe could not attend that meeting so she asked if I would is go in her stead and yep. I went mm-hmm. in and of course yeah. there were all these ADs and I of course I'm not an AD but You know, I was in on the conversation and so forth. Sure. While there, of course, who was at that meeting, because they were one of the prominent theater come smaller theater companies in town, was Jeannie Hackett and John Ambrosello. So Mm -hmm. after the meeting, I happened to have said something at the meeting and, you know, I kind of challenged Richie a little bit. (laughs) And so everyone was kind of like, oh, okay. So at the end of that meeting, I get this letter from Jeannie and John. Saying that yeah. you know it was nice meeting you at the meeting, and we were wondering if you would be interested in being a part of the company. at tears like that. Now here I was trying to get in before no entree yeah, in, yeah, yeah. and at this meeting this is how I meet them. I still have the letter that they sent, and I, I you know I couldn't believe it. I was like, really. And so with that invitation, I said yes. And I think at the time they were doing it like you could, you know, try it out for six months. And if you don't feel it. So, of course, the six months came and then then I was asked, well, do you want to continue or what? And of course, I said yes. So that's how I got involved with Antia's.
0: And yeah, I was, I was doing stuff at Antias like from like 2004 to 2008 or nine, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. So I, I remember some of this stuff mm-hmm. and Lisa Volpe actually directed me in a, a production in college at USC I uh, the, of the well, Winter right. So
1: went to, I see. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, it was, it was funny that you brought up that meeting with Michael Richie because I, I did notice and the way you were talking about all the programs that, that ended at the taper because i I noticed later, you know probably i don't know maybe ten years later that you got involved with equity when they were doing away with the equity waiver program in in l a and you know just uh, looking at these opportunities like you know this is how a lot of actors develop their craft and and stay active and and keep active and you know i mean i i I think it's commendable when people will step forward and and volunteer their their name and be willing to say like no i'm i'm I want to raise my voice here uh, on this issue because I think it's really important, uh, for me to do that. And, and, and I've noticed that like, you know, you're also on a number of boards for different things where you have been on boards. So where, where did, where did that, like that desire come from? Like, do you see that tracking from, you know, uh, you as a kid, like always wanted to be part of things or how did, you know, th- that, that, that advocacy point,
1: you know, and you know, being a person of color, sometimes you just got to be able to step up and say, you know, you've got to, have a voice Mm. somehow and those were and and these were things that i just never again looked to do it's just that the opportunity arose and it's either you step Mm. to it or you 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 don't you know i could have said no to entice i could have said no to the i could have said no to all of that but you know living in 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 real time at that time it's you had to i i felt it was just the next step in 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 what i was doing so that was not a that was a no-brainer to to be able to, to say this, something needs to be said on, on, right. this thing.
0: You know, I was, I was really curious, you know, because of how fascinated you were with the, with the BBC stuff and the language and, and mentioning that thing you did as a kid, you know, having the, the anxiety around speaking. Was that ever something that you consciously worked on like that kind of, and you mentioned Fran, but did you ever work specifically on your voice and elocution or anything like that? Or did, did that just develop over time? in terms of you being very comfortable you know on stage and and having and and developing that muscle to work with classical texts
1: you know it, i remember when i was in college i remember taking a speech class and i realized in that speech class that there were certain words that i would say that that wasn't how most people would say it so sure, you know it yeah, kind of yeah. brought that to my consciousness and mm-hmm. so i think that's probably where that started and and just being fascinated with with what I was looking at, you know, in television or even the movies that I liked, mm-hmm. it required mm-hmm. you know a certain attention. So working with Fran was very helpful. Working with the the, the women with that uh, the other women, and to learn from her was probably <laughs> the best thing you know you can do. You know, she certainly is missed in in this community. That voice and that yeah. ability that she had. So I think that was, and that came early in my transition to Los Angeles. So that was, you know, I, again, it was just, it, it was just never to me, a lot of conscious thinking about things, but just doing, you know, so that, that I think might've stirred that for sure, working with, with Fran and. And with leads and then just seeing, you know, the Antheus people doing their thing and being a part of that community. You know, a lot of times you felt you just had to step up to the plate. I remember the very first time working with the LA Women Shakespeare Company, my thought was, I'm gonna go in there and they're gonna wipe the floor with me for sure, because you know yeah, they, yeah. you know, these people are from this conservatory program and that conservatory program. So, you know, there were people who had studied, you know, extensively and came out of prestigious programs. So in a sense, I always felt like I was behind the eight ball in all of this because I didn't have the, mm. the training experience that most of these people had. I was learning as I was going, it, so to speak, learning and on the spot. So that that was really how that came about and and feeling that I had to just keep doing it so that I could learn it. I could, you know, I can get used to it. But there's always that thing inside that still you know, from way back when, you know how I remember this woman told me once, this Armenian lady, it was, what did she say? How did it go? Your memory is what you can't forget. And so your experience mm. is good or bad. That becomes your your living memory. That's what you carry with you all the time. Right. So that, I guess, that thing of, of being made fun of in school and things like that, that's still, you know, those things are hard to forget, to let go.
0: Right, of course, yeah. of course. Was there a point that I, I mean, you know, because it, it's been so fascinating to, to talk about your interest in fashion and, and, and dance and and your work in finance. W- was there a point where you, and then as a masseuse, and it sounds like you did, you were very accomplished as a masseuse mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Was there a point where you felt like, did you feel like for yourself you had achieved success as an actor? Like, w- was there something that you were like, okay, now, now I feel like. An actor like all these other people that i see or no no. no
1: no and i think that has probably been one of the things that i think personally have sort of held me back if anything because i always felt mm. like i wasn't good enough in it you know because i didn't have the background to it so it, it always kind of made me feel like i had to work harder to 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 get to to like if i'm in a show and whatever it's because it's, it wasn't my background. You know, your background always is, right. Is, right. informs you. It helps you because you've experienced right. certain things. And I, I've never really had that, you know, the the, 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 the type of training that most people think is what you need to get you to the door. But I realized for me, that's just not my experience. So I have to just right. accept where I'm at with it and, and don't let that stop me, even though it scares the hell out of me. If that makes sense to you,
0: no, it does. It does, and I and I think it's I I think it's a really refreshing perspective because I think there are many of us who wish, oh, I wish I had gone to this school, or I wish I had had this experience at a younger age, or I had been introduced to this or that or whatever. And and just seeing because, of course, from the outside looking at your career and how established you know I I perceive that you are, and, and in terms of the work you're doing and the quality of the work you're doing and and the level of work you're doing that. That you've been able to achieve that even with the myriad experiences you, you've had over over your life. I mean, I think it's really a, a testament to, you know, drive and, and tenacity and, and perseverance. You know, just kind of wrapping up here because there's a lot of other stuff we could touch on, you know, specific projects and things like that. But, do you know, do you feel like this place... In your life, you know, if you look back over the last few years, is there like a new belief or or habit that you feel like you've developed that has really improved your life in, in terms of maybe your acting career or just your focus or, or things like that?
1: Yes, I think what I've learned is that I have to face my fears mm-hmm. because even though those things scared the hell out of me, I always said Yes. And so, Mm -hmm. and I either had to learn on the spot or, you know, get myself out of things. But because I, 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 you know, because you can always say, because I'm afraid I'm not going to accept this. I'm not going to do it. I'm safer if I don't do it. A lot of times I had to literally pull up my big girl panties and say, yes, I'm going to do this. And I think that's where the opportunities came because I found that when I did say yes, it opened a door and somehow I was able to to, to, to scale the wall and, and succeed at it, you know, cause even working on Wall Street, that was the last place I would have ever found myself because I was never yeah. a, a numbers person. I was never a math person. I would never, but when they said, you, you know, we want you to get, um, licensed, it was like, you know, I could have said no and that would right. never have happened for me, you know, cause it was a mm. choice. I could have said, oh, yes, I'd like to, maybe I shouldn't, but, I do want to see what this is all about. And if I hadn't said yes, I would never have mm-hmm. learned the business. If I, right. you know, if I didn't, you know, say to Lisa Volpe, no, I don't want to go to, I'm not an artistic director. I'm not going to go to that meeting, why, why right? Why send me to this meeting? I'm not an artistic director. There were all these artistic directors there. I said yes, and I went. And then, yeah. you know, tears came up. And then, you know, other situations happen. Even, you know, we're working with A&W now. It's like, I I always thought they were not, you know, they were, that was not a place for me. And then I go there, Mm -hmm. I do one show and then I end up doing another and another and another and another. And then I'm asked to become an RA and then I'm asked to be on the book. So again, if you say you sometimes you just have to just step out of your comfort zone. I think that's the main thing. I'm still learning that because I'm still really, Mm -hmm. you know, that frightened girl, you know, who's saying yes, you know, while I'm shaking in my boots, but. You know, saying yes, nonetheless, so I think that's that's the main thing I've learned about myself and then I think that that's what kind of propelled me to walk through these doors that i I never knocked on or would have knocked on if the community right. hadn't come.
0: well i and I think all of the the different careers you've had it 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 shows how you were willing to work hard. And I'm sure you, you took, you know, different lessons from them. Like even all of those years, you know, doing the socks and trading, I'm sure there are certainly maybe not direct skills that you would take onto a set, but just life skills (laughs) or things you learned about how to manage your money or, or whatever things, you know, you you became a numbers person. You became a math person. Absolutely. um, Absolutely. That, that only helped you and aided you. And, and then of course, like just having that business background, bringing that into running your own theater, being on the boards of other theaters. So it's like, yeah, it it, it is. It, it can feel really challenging at the time, but when you look back, you can see, oh, okay, this this helped me. This helped line things up this way. Or I never would have had this opportunity come up if I hadn't said yes. So, yeah, no, it's it's it's. I, I can't tell you how fascinating it was to learn about your life because uh, you know, again, I I have a lot of research in front of me. But there was so much I had never uncovered. And, and, you know, this was great. So thank you so much, Verilyn. I really appreciate, uh, you sharing so much about what you were doing Mm -hmm. and what you've been up to.
1: It's, it's, it's fun. It was kind of making me, um, have to look backwards, which was, which was kind of interesting to know because, now that you say all of this and I'm telling you all of this, it made me realize, wow, it was quite a circuitous route to get to where I am now. And right. I just, I'm grateful for all of the opportunities I've had. And I I kind of have to always keep myself open so that more things can come because that's, you yeah. know. And, but what I, I realized too is everybody's path is different and not everyone sure. yeah. has follows that same path. And mine certainly was different. And I just want other people to know, even if it's young people to know that even if you don't start with one thing, there there are ways to make things happen. That's not in the conventional way, but that's okay because you mm-hmm. still end up in the same places. I still end up thinking sometimes I'm working with the the Yale rep folk. I'm work folks who have the, yeah. the Juilliard. I'm in the same room with with a lot of these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. So it just because you didn't start that way doesn't mean you can't end up at a place where you want to be. And I think that's the lesson that I've learned for myself and that everybody's path is different, but you can still end up in that same room with the person Mm. who had a whole totally different experience.
0: right. And so, you know, you've done, you know, you've, you've worked in TV and and film and theater and then you've achieved a lot in your career. Is, Is there, you know, you, You've been on the boards. You've helped start a theater. Is, is there, is there still something or, you know, what, what, what do you see like as the next? Challenge for you. I don't know if it's a specific work or piece of material or something that you're you know really looking forward to to tackling next, or or is there a whole other career you want to start on the side? Do you want you want to you want to become a, a you know marine biologist or something?
1: <laughs> that astronaut thing sounds interesting.
0: <laughs> okay, well yeah, see you know we we're all headed to Mars anyway. You can le- you can pave the way. You can ask somebody. How did you get started in being an astronaut? Uh,
1: well, there there are roles. There's certainly some roles I want to to yeah. tackle. Some of the big roles. I've always been interested in. Doing Mary Tyrone and Long Day's Journey, and oh China. sure, I did a reading once of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which oh, cool. fascinated yeah. me. So that's another role. These, it's, it's in my mind. These are just always the roles. When I say I think of those roles, those were these are the things that I always wow. They, yeah. they, it looks real hard, but it looks like something that I could give myself into that I could, I mm. could do. You know, given the opportunity to do it. So.
0: Well, and it, and it sounds similar to, you know, or at least from what I read about when you played on Esther and in, in Gem of the Ocean, you know, something that just requires so much of you. Yes. You, know? you
1: know, it's funny because my, my husband always says, you know, you always want to do these big roles, but they're roles that a lot of people normally wouldn't see me doing. You know, like playing mm-hmm. honesty, mm-hmm. you think of this, you know, probably an older person, a bigger person, you know, cause I, sometimes I yeah. get, you know, these things when I had didn't get a role or something. I remember a casting director telling me once as I was about to leave the room after an audition, it was a, a street mom or something. I, I don't remember exactly the role, but mm-hmm. it was a role that you probably, it, it, it was sort of a, a, a street mom. She was a tough, you know, woman. So, yep. so. Okay. and she said to me, cause you know, I can tell when I'm succeeding in the room because it's a feeling I get that it's feeling Mm -hmm. right and I've dropped into it. And then there are times when I know I totally did not get this. And, you know, I, 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 if they offered it to me, I'd say, no, because I didn't do a good job, whatever. But she said to me, you know, Verilynn, I just want you to know. My hand was on the doorknob ready to leave the room. And she says, yeah, I I just want you to know that you're not going to get this job. And it's not because you did not blow me away at this in this audition. It's just because you're not who we're looking for, the type that we're looking for. And oftentimes mm. I get that people, you know, I agree with and they said, you know, and I can tell this is not your role because that that's not how mm. they see you. So to right. get a role like on Esther was, again, it, it's the language. I mean, she has so much to say and, sure, and yeah. but that's, that's really what I, I want all those things to say. <laughs> you no, know, I mm-hmm, want to be mm-hmm, able mm-hmm. to really have those words drop into me. So that I could do them effectively. So a role like Mary Tyrone, I mean, this, these are roles that require so much, you know, psychologically, emotionally. And I think that's where I've always wanted to be. That's why when I thought of, you know, doing classical work, it always seemed like that's what one needs to be able to uh, drop into these things. And so... Mm. Yes. And, and doing On Esther was a life changer for me. I remember when I was cast to do it and I had posted online that, Oh God, I'm doing, you know, On Esther. And yeah. a friend of mine, I don't know if you know this actress, Michelle Shea, she's considered to me one of a Wilsonian actress because she's done a lot of oh, original yeah, okay. work in that she did the role that I just finished doing, Louise from Seven Guitars, mm-hmm. which is another one of August Wilson's plays. So she, she, you know, and and those actors, because of the language, there's a certain way that you have to do these lines. August Wilson has his own, you know, mm-hmm. his own thing and rhythm, rhythm and exactly. Yeah, yeah. And without that, you don't, you know, you're lost. So you can't get through all of that text. You just can't if you're doing it at at this slow pace. But she wrote back, replied to my post saying. Oh, you see, you see, she congratulated me on the role. But she also said, well, in order to play on Esther, you must be called to do the role. There must be, it's a calling. It's not anyone who could do this. So hmm. it freaked me out completely. I know she made it as <laughs> <guess> a compliment, <laughs> but it totally freaked me out because like, my God, maybe maybe I'm not called. Maybe I'm wrong. Right, maybe. exactly.
0: You start wondering, like, was that, do I feel, it's, it's a the question of like, is this love? Is this is this what I'm supposed to feel like? Is this is this what love is? I, I you know it's just a calling. I don't know
1: exactly. So and that that brings me to the point of feeling for a long time of being a fraud because I didn't mm. have the the conservatory background. I didn't have all of these Broadway experiences or you know working with the great director. I didn't have all of that. Mm. So in a sense, it always kind of makes you feel like maybe I'm a fraud somehow. But I mm. had to learn to 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 get over that and still you know, do the work. And so that's doing on Esther. It, 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 it was such it's such a, a, a huge impactful role that I was mm. scared that I would not be able to tap into what that is. I mean, we're talking about a woman who holds our history, you mm-hmm. know, the African-American history, because that's what she, she's a, a historian. she, she, oh, yeah. she's the pulse of, of, of so much. And so, and she appears in so many of, of August's work that it's mm-hmm. a pivotal, pivotal role that all of his plays hang around. So that's a huge yeah. responsibility. And, and then I got what yeah. she meant, Michelle Shay, when she said it, it, you have to be called to do this. And when I, right. I was, um, cast to do it and I started looking and reading a bunch of things and seeing some other attempts at the, at, at the role and, you know, there were some that was just like, "Oh my God, that was not a call." And you did not get that call at all, <laughs> you know. And then there were those that I saw that was like when Felicia was shot, and I thought, "Yeah, she was called." And I was mm-hmm. so nervous that I would come off as not being called to do this role, mm-hmm. you know. So it it meant a lot to me to really dive into that and to really dwell in that world with her, and and to to make her a whole you know, 285 years old. How do you play that? Yeah. You know? I so know, it, yeah. it was monumental and, and it really was excellent. It was a, it it was one of the most profound experiences I've had. And so, mm-hmm. which led me to the last role that I just did of Louise. And, and so, mm-hmm. you know, again, it, you just, you just have to, if you get the call, when they call it, you, you can't, you just got to show up. You yeah. got to show up. With well, and
0: I, and I really appreciate you going into you know your your experience of that role and you know looking at some of the other shows you've done i also have to commend you on being able to maintain a relationship with a husband who's also directed you in some of these parts too it's just like i you know i'm, I'm i it, 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 that's a whole other you know hour-long <laughs> conversation of uh how do you you know you're you're married to the same person who's a director and he's also an actor he has his own career and so there's probably lots of conversations about that and what we do here and and then of course you're a part of this theater company together and and yeah it's just it i i it's amazing to see how much you guys have intertwined your your working and and personal lives and that you've found a balance i'm sure through a lot of trial and error of of how do we make this work and you know where 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 do we leave work you know when do we leave work at work and when do we bring it home and you know, are you going to cast me in this pro- show and all that kind of stuff People always
1: ask me that and they ask him the same thing too but yeah. you know there's just um so much respect for him and the work that mm. when we're in the rehearsal room there are very few people i think and maybe i'm wrong i don't know but i don't think anyone has ever said that it was that it, we made a spectacle of us working
0: together we just, right of course yeah you right you don't bring the personal no, relationship no, into the rehearsal room at all, not yeah. at all. no no not at all. but do you guys ever bring the rehearsal room back into the back into um, home? Or do you, have you been pretty good about cre keeping that boundary? No, of
1: course we would bring it in, you know, in terms of discussions and, 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 yeah, where of you course. See, yeah. You know, how, how, you know, how am I doing? Am I, you know, am I getting there? To, you know that type right. of work is always there. I think it would be hard not to do that. But, yeah. you know, Greg is such a talented, not only actor, director, you know, teacher. So, you know, he, he, he I, I've learned so much from him and he talk about a person mm-hmm. with a drive. I mean, <laughs> You yeah, can't find yeah, another yeah. person with the type of drive that my husband has, but no, it's been, it, it's always been a good working relationship. We've never come home where we're mm-hmm. angry at each other. Or right. I mean, there are times when, you know, I would think, well, you know, you didn't give me enough time. This so you know, those type of little things. You sure, work of out. But in terms of me locking, blocking him off because i was angry at him for something or whatever no not when it comes to the to the work Mm -hmm. that's always separate yes i i could be pissed off at him i could you know all that stuff but of course when it comes to to the work we've you know we've always managed to make it work and i i really hope and I, i i i can't find anyone who would say that they find it a problem working with us as a team and as right, an actress, yeah. director kind of thing. And I've never felt that in the rehearsal room. And so yeah. I'm hoping that that's always been the case. We, we try to keep it professional, you know, and it's not even something well, well, you try. Oh, it just yeah. happens naturally.
0: Right. Well, like you said, the, the, the trust and the <laughs> respect and, and open communication too. I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta be able to talk about stuff that, you know, if you, if you need something more here or, or whatever, you know, and, and yeah, you guys have been working long enough that you, you know, you kind of know what you need as an individual, and then what you know what you're looking for from the other person exactly, too. Exactly. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, Marilyn, thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it. It was this was great. It was, great it was
1: actually so fun. Actually, I I thought it was going okay. to be um, a whole different thing, but. And it's, you're easy to chat with, you know, you're very charming. So it makes things easy and you ask great questions. And, and I, I respect the fact that you, you take what you do so seriously, you know, the research and even the fact that you do this, you know, the podcast and yeah. not just the podcast, but what you do with the, the, the studio that you, you know, you do the, the workshops. workshops yeah. So it, it was, it was my pleasure actually, Nathan.
0: Oh, good. Well, I, yeah. And, and thank you. I mean, I, I know I could probably pinpoint, but I'll just say like the short answer is uh, I feel such gratitude for a lot of the older actors I knew when I was in my twenties. And I think even at that time, I recognized a lot of my peers were not hanging out with this group of people and we're not getting to work alongside this people and learn from this group of people. And, you know, as I get older and, and, you know, as, as I just, as I get older and kind of, that part of life, not necessarily the mortality of life, but just you, things become sharper in terms of where you've come from, what, you know, the influences on you as a person. And so just seeing like, well, what can I do to share what I learned from this generation and the generation before me and all that? So, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm, 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 I feel honored, uh, to, to do it. And I, and I love having the conversation. So. I mean, and I, I think, I think it is important, you know, and your, your story is, is, is such a great <laughs> example that, you know, there is no one path. I mean, even I remember interviewing Dakin and, and everybody is always, you know, people get winded going through his bio, like you just, you run out, <laughs> you know, cause you're, and you just, you don't know how one person was able to do all mm-hmm. of this. And yet he has such a story where he's like, and he even said, he's like, I hate to, give people advice because my my path was so random and and you know but but i think your, your story is another great example that it's just like yeah you don't need to have gone to this school or done this thing or done this program like if you want it you just keep working at it not everybody's going to get the lead in a tv series but that that's not that's not the measure of success right, right. you know, it's it's just what what you know what, what quality of work are you doing and that you want to be doing for yourself but you, so, you know just you um, say the
1: level of work it's like you know, even with this uh, circuitous path that I took to get where I am, I'm just so grateful. And I I don't have this huge career either. I mean, you know, I could I would love to do much more in in every aspect, sure, yeah. theater to, to in the film, TV. But I am so grateful to be where I am from where mm-hmm. I started. So, yeah, to me, I'm. I'm a winner at what I do, even though it may not be all the great roles or the great theater stages to be on. I'm just damn grateful that I got a chance to do what I I set out to do. And it took me, you know, and I would still to this day say if anyone, if I had to give any advice to any young people, it would be to study. Yes, I think that's important. That is important. And I would recommend that. But just because you can't afford to go to an ivy league or conservatory or whatever right. doesn't mean that you shouldn't go for it. Yep. So but, but that that's what I will leave on is just to say that yes, you know, my path is what it was, but it's what it was supposed to be and yeah. doing what now what I feel I was meant to do. So that that's my prize.
0: Hey there, this is Nathan one more time. Thanks so much for checking out the episode today. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss anything ahead. If you enjoy what you've heard, please let others know. Write a review, post on social media, send an email, tell your entire acting class, or just a friend. I sincerely appreciate it. You can tag us at WAJpodcast on Instagram and Twitter. We're also on Facebook and YouTube. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Be sure to check out workingactorsjourney.com for our show notes with additional info and links mentioned in this episode, as well as all the episodes. We've got 25-plus interviews and 12-plus workshop presentations. Sign up for the email list so you're the first to hear about upcoming projects, workshops, and much, much more. Thanks again to today's guest and to everyone that makes these episodes possible. And a special thanks to you for listening. I'm Nathan Agin, and enjoy the journey. (laughs) we <laughs>